Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to This One's a Doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. And we talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. We so do. We totally do. We've done it four times now. I've got to (laughs) say, we do need to up our game with the folklore. We have a resident folklore expert friend. She would blush at that mm. compliment, but I mean it with my whole heart. She will grace us with her presence soon. I'm excited for that. Me too. Yeah. Well, first questions first. What are you drinking over there? Well, uh, if people haven't been able to notice yet, I don't sound quite like me because I, it was. it's time for my quarterly sinus infection. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like day five. So should be probably four or five more days. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. You're so I'm, I am drinking that. That's related to what I'm drinking. I am drinking a ginger orange peel tea with like loads of honey and it's oh, really yeah. good. Yeah. So I apologize for my voice. If you guys hate me talking with a sinus infection, you can nicely let us know that. And next time we'll just wait and just hold we'll just, off on we'll recording. We'll just skip a week. We'll just yeah, skip a so week next let time. Let us know what you prefer if one of us sounds terrible. Yeah. What are you drinking? I am not drinking exactly the same thing, but you were drinking tea. And so I thought to myself, I should have some tea. So I'm having uh, an herbal tea, which I don't remember what it's called. Do you remember what it's called? It's like a, it's like a dragon chai decaf oh, yeah. tea. Yeah. Decaf dragon t- chai. Cause it's 11 o'clock at night and caffeine would be problematic. Otherwise be a bad idea for you. Just a little bit. Yes. Just a little bit. Well, my dear, do you have, before you totally wreck (laughs) us with the actual story of the night, do you have a feel-good fact I do. This one is really cute. So the feel-good fact of the day is that otters sleep holding hands (laughs) so that they don't drift away from each other. Practical? Yes. Adorable as all get out? Absolutely. Also, yes. They are also known to sort of like tangle together in kelp or seaweed as a group so that they're anchored down for the night. Oh. <laughs> like, literally the cutest thing I could possibly think of in my head. <laughs> and you better believe I looked it up on YouTube and it's so cute. <laughs> I feel like I remember there being a show that we watched where 
Everyone was really excited about the otters, and they saw the otters <laughs> holding hands. It's uh, that's on Finding Dory. Is that what it is? It's yeah, there's like Dory. chaos ensuing right. with the <laughs> sea animals stealing the truck. They're like, "Oh, the otters!" Oh, Everybody does their part so they the, can be released at sea. Yeah, all the otters are hugging. That's what it is. <laughs> oh, they're hugging. <laughs> it's so cute. Oh man, I love it so much. Me too. All right. Well, now that I've made your day. Allow me to ruin it. Yes, crush us, please. Are you, are you prepared? Nope. All right. Well, Let's do it. <laughs> too bad, Kev, because this one is a doozy. In the late hours of June 15th, 1987 in Nashville, Tennessee, first responders in the area received several calls informing them that the Emmanuel Church of Christ Oneness Pentecostal Church, Ooh. that's a name, that's a doozy. was that's on a fire. <laughs> so the church was on fire. Firefighters raced to the scene, and after two long hours, they were able to stop the flames. Shortly after, police would enter the church where they were doing their sort of like preliminary sweep to see what they could learn about what may have caused the fire, and to see if there was anyone inside who either needed medical help or anyone that may have been trapped inside that didn't survive. Mm. The fire had certainly gone to work that night. The sanctuary was charred, the instruments and chandeliers had melted, and smoke still billowed from the seats. After doing a sweep, first responders headed to the attic of the church and were stunned at what they found. They called in Detective Robert Moore to investigate what they had found. One specific area of the attic contained a little pile of two-by-fours, cloth of some type, and little pieces of plywood. Mm -hmm. All of these were obviously pretty burnt, but they weren't burnt completely. And underneath that pile was a rolled-up slab of carpet. Upon clearing some of the burnt debris, Detective Moore saw feet sticking out of the carpet. <gasps> As he continued to clear the carpet and debris, Detective Moore found the body of a man, but that body was missing his head and his right arm from below the elbow. Oh. So his first thought after what the heck happened here was, who is this? Yeah. Missing his head and one of his forearms, they didn't have much to go off of initially, but they would soon figure out who this man was based off of a pretty innocuous clue. The man had a belt on with a personalized belt buckle that had the letter T on it. Hmm. They immediately recognized it and sort of soft identified the deceased man as John David Terry, usually referred to as David Terry or Brother David or Brother mm. Terry. Okay. Who, he was the pastor of the church. Oh. Yeah. So before confirming this, they sadly had to bring in Terry's wife, uh, where she quickly confirmed that the belt buckle worn by the deceased man was a gift that she'd gotten for her husband the previous year for Father's Day. Oh. So what could have happened to Terry and why in such a gruesome manner? Hours earlier, he was set to go fishing with one of his friends from the church, a man named James Matheny. It was shortly after investigators believed that they had found David Terry's body that they realized that nobody could account for James Matheny. Oh, no. Yes. So James, where's James? what did you do? James. All right. So I came in hot with the intro, but I wanted to take a minute to talk about John David Terry and James Matheny. Yeah. I'll start with John David Terry. It's a lot to say three names, so I'll probably just shorten that to Terry. <laughs> yeah. Just use the last name. That's yeah. good. So um, he was the pastor of Emmanuel Church of Christ Oneness Pentecostal Church. Following in the footsteps of his father, who was also a pastor and a bishop, he felt called to ministry after a few years that he had spent in college. He was well-loved and respected by his peers and fellow pastors in the denomination, as well as by his congregation and other members of the community. Hmm. His preaching style was charismatic and fire and brimstone, which is a one-two punch that hmm. I probably shouldn't comment on. Uh, <laughs> girl got opinions. <laughs> 
but according to members of the denomination, Brother David, as he was most often known as, was said to have been one of the most liked leaders in the denomination, at least in that area. Hmm. He could play instruments and sing and string together a compelling sermon. He also gave a lot to his community, both of his time and his finances. He was married to his wife, Brenda, I believe is her name, and they had three boys. It was sometime in the late 1980s when Terry would connect with James Matheny. So Matheny was 32 years old and down on his luck. He'd been through a lot, from struggles with alcohol abuse to spending time in prison on various charges. Um, he had also had a wife named Teresa and a young son named William. Hmm. Teresa really did love Matheny, but his struggles really kind of took over their lives. Hmm. So when their son was young, Teresa and Matheny would separate. It was during a stay in the hospital in 1987 while he was trying to detox when Matheny first heard about David Terry. Teresa, who had been visiting Matheny in the hospital had been attending Terry's church. She was really moved when she reached out to Terry and just asked for some help. Like, you know, can mm. you give some insight, some counsel? Can you be praying for my my ex-husband? You know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever resources that it sounds like from everything that I was reading and the videos and stuff that I watched that she was really just trying to find anybody who would help her support him in mm. getting sober and recovering. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, she's a great lady. Uh, so, Terry had actually told Teresa that he'd been thinking about Matheny and he'd be praying for him. He said he'd be happy to help and ready to do so in any way that he could as soon as Matheny was ready. Yeah. This seemed like an opportunity for Matheny to truly recover and find peace and to surround himself with people who would help him care for himself and who would care for him. So, her hunch about this being a foundational season in Matheny's life was correct. Matheny really seemed to flourish after getting involved in the church. By all accounts, Terry went out of his way to care for Matheny. He offered him a job as a handyman at the church hmm. and eventually even baptized him. All of wow. this was a huge deal to Matheny's ex-wife, who, like, I, I feel like I'm probably going to overstate this, but she really loved him. Yeah. She really did love him. Um, he seemed to be really happy for the first time in a long time. Terry had also gifted Matheny some money to help him pay rent for a while while he got back on his feet. They kind of seemed just like two good old-fashioned besties. Yeah. So, back to June 1987. Investigators put themselves into overdrive to figure out what happened and where James Matheny could be. They started with investigating Matheny's home. When they got there, nothing was out of place and nothing was missing. One clue they found outside, however, was David Terry's car parked a little ways down the street from Matheny's home. They hmm. opened the car and in the back seat, they found two empty beer bottles and a few of David Terry's belongings, including his ID and some of his clothes. Oof. Yes. Not looking good. Not looking great. There was also a towel under the front seat that appeared to have had blood on it. Mm. Also not good. Uh, they found two fishing rods and a tackle box as well. So things are not looking good for Matheny. And at this point, he's really the only person of interest. Right. And nobody knows where he is. Right. So police put out an all points bulletin or APB for Matheny. And this led to nothing. So they switched gears and literally just went door to door in the area surrounding the church, asking neighbors for any information that might help them figure out what happened mm -hmm. and where Matheny could be. Like, did anybody see somebody leave after you reported the fire? Like, did you notice right. anybody? That sort of thing. So it was during this canvassing that an important tip came in. A neighbor near the church had said that on the night of the fire, but before the fire actually started, they noticed a motorcycle with its lights on behind the church, and that shortly before anybody noticed the fire, the motorcycle had left. Hmm. 
He was able to give a description of the motorcycle, which investigators quickly passed along so that everyone could be on the lookout. Yeah. If they could figure out any identifying information on the exact motorcycle, they might be able to trace who it belonged to and if they were tied to the murder in any way. Right. Because this is obviously a murder. (laughs) Yes. You don't just go missing a head and an arm in a fire. Yeah. And then get wrapped in a carpet. Yeah. No, that doesn't (laughs) happen. So, uh, meanwhile, at the medical examiner's office, an absolutely baffling finding came about. The body found in the attic of the church did not belong to David Terry. Oh. When I tell you that my jaw dropped. What? And I was immediately so confused. I cannot overstate. (laughs) Yes, that is very confusing. Yeah. So, okay, let's think about this. Yes. The medical examiners are given a body with no head, missing Mm -hmm. an arm. Yes. The only identifying feature of this body up until being taken to the medical examiner's office had been a personalized belt buckle. Right. This was the 80s, so thorough DNA testing was not available at this time. So how the heck did they figure out that this didn't belong to David Terry? Mm -hmm. They had performed an autopsy on the body, and that's when they discovered some surgical scars that didn't match up with Terry's medical records. Oh. Yeah, so they they were thorough. Good job, guys. So who the heck is the victim then? Turns out that James Matheny had undergone surgery for a lung condition in a nearby hospital. When the medical examiner received Matheny's medical information, they put two and two together. The x-rays from the surgery matched the scars on the body. Oh my gosh. The victim wasn't David Terry. The victim was James Matheny. What? Yes. Yeah. I'm just just going to give you a second. I'm so glad that I can give you goosebumps. Oh my gosh. Isn't like, what? Yeah, that's insane. A twist I I did not see coming. Yeah. I was expecting... Uh, I don't even know what I was expecting. Not that. <laughs> Not that. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Are you ready for me to keep going? I'm, I'm ready. I have a feeling. I think I know where this is going, but... <laughs> I've made you speechless thus yes. far. I'm proud of you. Let's see. Proud of me. So, <laughs> this was a completely unexpected development in the case, to say the least. So, now what? So, the same day that they found out that the body belonged to Matheny, investigators went and interviewed Brenda Terry, David's wife. Mm -hmm. Uh, David Terry's wife, sorry. Um, At first, she was super relieved, which sounds kind of weird, but like also putting myself in her shoes. If I just spent a couple of days thinking that you were brutally murdered, only to discover that you weren't brutally murdered, I'd probably be relieved too. But For a moment. (laughs) Yes, the relief faded pretty quickly because nobody had heard from Terry. Right. On one hand, it seemed possible that someone could have went to the church while Terry and Matheny were preparing for their fishing trip. They could have killed Matheny and abducted Terry. Terry could also be dead and just waiting for his body to be discovered. Right. So whoever it was that had killed Matheny was obviously brutal, so it would not be surprising if Terry had also been murdered. Um, right. Terry could have also been the killer at this point. Oh my gosh, yeah. Who freaking knows? <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. So the search for David Terry began. The search went on for some time until finally an anonymous tip came in. The caller said that there was a major piece of evidence in an unlocked storage unit nearby. The caller also said to hurry that they only had a few hours to go and get the clue. What? One crazy thing is that to this day, nobody knows who made that call. (laughs) What? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Very strange. This is odd. Okay. So they hustled to the storage unit, opened it up, and discovered a motorcycle matching the description of the one seen at the church the night of the fire and the murder. Okay. The motorcycle. We're getting somewhere. 
The motorcycle was quickly traced to a local dealership, and lucky for investigators, the dealership still had the receipt of sale on file. The name on the receipt, do you have any, do you have a guess? Um, John David Terry. Jerry Milam. Not, not John David Terry. Not John David Terry. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I, I thought you were going to guess that, and so yes, I made you. Sorry, that wasn't you. nice of me. <laughs> so who the heck is Jerry Milam? How does he play into any of this? Correct. That's my question. So those are the questions that investigators worked hard to uncover. They searched local and state records with absolutely no luck. So during what? this time, investigators also did their best to stay connected with Teresa, Matheny's ex-wife, who just wanted some answers. Yeah. But answers just weren't coming in. Oh, my gosh. Until they got a hit on the name Jerry Milam. Mm-hmm. But as if I haven't hit you with enough twists, it turns out that it would have been quite literally impossible for Jerry Milam to have been involved in this murder. Why, you ask? Why? That's why That's why I'm asking. I'm, I'm waiting for you that. to ask. Why? <laughs> Because Jerry Milam had passed away. Oh my goodness, when? He was a little boy who had died in a boat accident on a fishing trip, which is awful. Oh, that is sad. Police believed that at this point in time, it was as simple as claiming, somebody going in and claiming that they lost their birth certificate. All they would really need, would have needed at that time was a name and a date of birth. So, I mean, the 80s. (laughs) So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, okay. Someone is a scumbag and stole the identity of a deceased child. Right. And bought a motorcycle. And someone on a similar looking motorcycle was seen at the scene of the crime. Does that mean that this person murdered James Matheny? Not by default. But it sure sounds like it. But it's a pretty big break in the case. (laughs) Yes. And another break would come when detectives were told that David Terry had been found. What? He was at Vanderbilt Hospital in the emergency room. But Detective Moore was immediately confused. Yes, that is confusing. When he walked into the room, he did in fact see David Terry, but he looked absolutely nothing like himself. He was alive and well, but he had completely changed his appearance. He had shaved his head, given himself a fake tan, tweezed his eyebrows into super thin lines, and just kept this stoic, serious look on his face. What? Yeah. Okay. Okay, that's weird. That's a weird thing for a human to do at any point. A person who's not guilty of something generally doesn't change their entire de- appearance and disappear for a few days. Correct. Usually. I mean, maybe they do. Maybe I don't fun. know enough people, Just, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Strange. So they start asking Terry questions like, holy crap, are you okay? <laughs> did somebody hurt you? Did you hear about what happened to James Matheny? But Terry did not have any answers for them. He only said that he couldn't talk to them because he had lawyered up before the police had even got there. In a situation like this, one would only need a lawyer if they were guilty of something. So what the heck, Terry? Oh, Terry. It was at this time that they obtained a warrant to search Terry's home. Detective Moore and the rest of the crew combed over the house looking for any clues as to what could have been going on here. Yeah. It was then that Moore discovered an envelope with $10,400 in a drawer in Brenda and David's bedroom. This was odd and definitely felt connected somehow, so Moore Mm -hmm. brought the money to Terry and asked him about it. He also asked if he had any weapons. Moore had pulled up Terry's firearm registration. He had four registered weapons, but the police were only able to find three. He told him that this really isn't looking good for him, and it would sure help his case if he would just start answering some questions. So he asked him directly, where is the missing thirty-eight? Terry had disposed of it. 
So it seems pretty obvious at this point that Mm -hmm. Terry had killed Matheny, but why? What possible motive could this guy have had? So there are a few different ways that I considered working through this part of the story. So I thought it would be best if we just kind of talked about David Terry a little bit more in depth. We can kind Mm -hmm. of piece together what actually happened here. Okay. So David Terry was a far cry from the man that he portrayed from the pulpit. He was deeply insecure. This likely stemmed from having a pretty tumultuous relationship with his father for most of his life. Mm. His father really didn't show him any affection as a kid. And in fact, he had hammered it into David Terry's mind that he was ill-equipped to follow in his footsteps. It was strangely competitive. Like, yeah, that, that's weird. Like, I'm better at this than you ever could be kind of stuff. Like a lot. And, you know, the one person mm-hmm. that most kids want approval from, one of two, is one of your parents. Right. So to have the person that you look up to constantly yeah, ragging just, on you. Yeah, bringing you down. Mm-hmm. So this theme would continue when the man who was the bishop at the time, a guy named Rob Roy Banks, uh, had also said that Terry wasn't going to be able to grow in his role within the ministry either. He was not qualified to be the bishop. So this was a pretty big stressor in his adult life. So Terry actually ended up gaining a bunch of weight. And so with... Basically, with what happened is he was declined a $75,000 a year position as the bishop, mm-hmm. and he kind of fell back into a corner feeling pretty stuck at mm-hmm. his $35,000 a year job, which in the 80s is still, still pretty good. Right. But like, yeah. but okay, I can yeah. see how that can be a stressor, just being objective here. Mm-hmm. Does not justify a murder. feel like I should probably qualify that. But we're seeing the stressors <laughs> starting to yes. pile up a yes. little bit. So that's when Terry began embezzling money from the church. Oh, good for him. Great. Yes. Detectives actually saw bookwork from the church where it was super obvious that chunks of money were not accounted for. Once again, not looking great for old Terry. No. In his plight to keep up appearances, Terry put pressure on his wife to keep a neat and tidy home and to keep the kids presentable and in line. He also was extremely dedicated to keeping his lawn neat and tidy, Hmm. which feels like a metaphor. (laughs) I'm just going to let everybody stew on that for a second. Yeah. It feels like a metaphor for his whole life. Like yes. everything looks great. It looks great really on the outside. Uh-huh. Is it though? That's the uh. question. So he refused to wear shorts in the summer, which doesn't really feel relevant, but it stood out to me as weird because Nashville is hot. Yes. I don't know why I felt like that was important yeah. enough to include. <laughs> I, 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 I What's am, wrong with this guy? <laughs> I'm the kind of person that also refuses to wear shorts unless it's just deadly hot. And Mm -hmm. I have been in the South in the summer and it is deadly hot and I will wear shorts. So why the heck this guy? Red flag. Yeah. Red flag. (laughs) So fast. So anyways, he would buy expensive gifts for his kids when they got good grades or behaved well consistently. And he also made sure to give those gifts to his kids somewhere where the gifts could be seen. Like he'd show up at their school and give them a super Mm. awesome expensive gift. One strange thing was that he claimed that his religious beliefs didn't allow for any kinds of sports to be permitted in the home. So he would let his sons go out for sports, but then he would have like refused to attend their practices or their games. Oh, weird. Yeah. His son recalled a specifically sad time where he was being honored at a banquet for his work on the football team. Uh, This particular son was like a star athlete at the Uh school and his dad didn't come. 
Oh. So that hurts me in my mom heart. I hate that. I hate it too. So it seems that by all accounts, he gave away more to his congregation than he did to his own family when it comes to how he gave, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So he would go out and be all like philanthropic with his community. He'd sing at weddings. He'd attend and preach at funerals. He'd visit new parents in the hospital and give advice to new dads and all of Mm -hmm. that. He would encourage people, be there for them, blah, blah, blah. And meanwhile, his family was left in the dust. Right. So never around and not great. His depression and low self-esteem really took over him as the years went on. When the numbers at the church didn't rise, he saw this as just another failure on his part. Mm. He also lost his mother in 1983. This sort of, to me, seems like the real hinge of his downward spiral. Yeah. It was around the time that he lost his mother that he was walking through a shop where he noticed some magazines. One particular magazine stood out to him. It was a magazine called Soldiers of Fortune, and it featured an article title on the cover that said, How to Get Lost which is basically a how-to on disappearing and starting a new life. Oh, weird. I do not know the full context of this article, but that's how Terry described it. And it sounds like a bad idea to put that out there for the world. But like, I mean, well, I guess- it's already we, out there for the world. Yeah. Someone's going to find it if they really want it. Someone's going to find- Also, you can't do that in is, 2022. <laughs> this is before the- Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> this is before the internet and before like homesteading and like the idea of homesteading kind of reinvigorated you know yeah where like people going off the grid now is not the same as people going off the grid in the 80s right like we we like downgrade to a dumb phone and be like off the grid you know yeah or don't we don't have netflix so like we're way off the grid yeah instead of using our debit cards we use a credit card (laughs) (laughs) or we pull cash out of our bank account with our debit card (laughs) with our debit card and then go back three weeks later to very difficult yeah to not leave a paper trail yeah or some sort of trail in the time we live in. A <laughs> little bit easier in the late 80s, apparently. So, mm. it was then that Terry began plotting. How could he start over? He began with embezzling money from the church and secretly selling a piece of property that the church had actually owned. And then he pocketed the money from that sale. He also took Yikes. out a $100,000 life insurance policy with his three kids being the beneficiaries. He also took to securing his new fake identity. After a few failed attempts, he stumbled upon the grave of Jerry Milam, whose birthday was only three days before his own. Same year and everything. After he got that, in just about the exact way as the police had guessed that he had, he used his new identity and about $4,700 to go buy that Suzuki motorcycle. Just months before the murder is when he began pursuing friendship with Matheny under the guise of providing Matheny with friendship and pastoral care. Oh, geez. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, this one's brutal. So this would allow Terry to disappear without a trace while maintaining his fake lifestyle and without getting charged with embezzlement. He would later call Matheny his sacrificial lamb. Oh, good Grief. Is that Ugh. not one of the worst things you've ever heard? Ugh. Disgusting. So his plan to disappear was well in motion. So now let's walk through the day of the crime. Terry woke up at sunrise on June 15th, 1987. He put that envelope full of cash in his bedroom dresser for his wife. He left a $100 bill in each of his son's wallets. He also wrote out a detailed note for his wife, giving her instructions on how to pay the bills and when and how to stay on top of car maintenance and that sort of stuff. Oh. 
Yeah. Uh, Anything that he was usually responsible for, he just explained to her how she should do it. He grabbed all of his documents with his new identity, some clothes, and two butcher's knives that he put in a canvas bag. He left in his little blue car around 8.30 a.m. to go pick up James Matheny. Matheny had actually called Teresa and excitedly told her about his plans to go fishing with Terry for the day. Oh, my gosh. He was, like, all whizzed up, excited about it. Yeah. And he's only 32. Just to put that in perspective, he's only 32. So, Terry, sorry, Terry picked up Matheny around 9 a.m. for their trip. They took a pit stop at the church where Terry said they needed to arrange some furniture and that it would only take a few minutes. He lured Matheny to the attic, telling him that there were some things that needed to be moved down to the sanctuary. Unknown to Matheny, Terry had hidden that missing gun, the thirty-eight, an axe, and a homemade fuse up in the attic. When Matheny had his back turned, Terry shot him at point-blank range, they believe, in the back of the head. No. He then moved Matheny onto the carpet and dressed him in his own clothes that he had packed from home, complete with his personalized belt buckle. He proceeded to use the knives and the axe to remove Matheny's head and arm at the elbow, removing a memorable tattoo that his loved ones could like easily identify him by. He also used a knife to slice off another tattoo from Matheny's body, which he then disposed of down the toilet. Can we talk just about the level of disrespect here? Like I, it's very hard for me to wrap my mind around anybody being capable of doing that to anybody, but like knowing Knowing that Terry had fully planned this yeah. and thought this through and worked out what he was going to do. Yeah. And he was so, like, just brutal yeah. and un- uncaring and unfeeling for right. this person who really trusted him. Yeah. And he well, was willing to frame him. Yeah. So all these people are thinking, what the heck? Matheny's just out here murdering the beloved pastor. It's like, there's just a lot of effort that oh. Terry went to in yeah. all of this. And it makes me mad. So, sorry. Let me keep moving. He put the head and the arm in his canvas bag and rolled Matheny up into the carpet. He also took two empty beer bottles and rubbed them into Matheny's hands so that he could plant them as evidence in his own car later on. Jeez. Yeah. Yep. He really thought this whole he, thing through. Oh, that's disgusting. It's very sad. Uh, it was at this time that Terry figured he'd just go dispose of the head and the arm. He went and got on the motorcycle that he'd hidden in some bushes near the church and drove out to, I think it's Old Hickory Lake, to try and find a spot to dispose of the head and arm. He claims that he couldn't find a spot where the body parts wouldn't be found. So he returned to the church, doused it in some sort of accelerant, and after a few failed attempts, he lit the church on fire and fled the scene on his motorcycle. The whole process took him the entire day and into the night. Because remember, the fire was reported around midnight. Yeah. So I also saw that police believed wholeheartedly that if they'd gotten to the scene, like at the church, any later than they had, or if they'd even taken five or ten minutes longer to put out the fire, Terry probably would have gotten away with it because the body wouldn't have made it in the fire much longer. Right. It was really, really hot. Right. It was melting metal chandeliers, you know. Mm. And destroying old instruments and stuff. So they really got there at the right time. Yeah. So he camped out at a motel and did all the things that David Terry would have never done. He attended a baseball game. (laughs) Yes. Wow. 
He just what really was, he was ready to start a new life. What a <laughs> I love the, I know what I'm going to do. I know. I'm going to go to a sporting event that my son isn't in. Yeah, jerk. What a turd. Cheese and Pete's. So Terry hated baseball because of his religion, but he assumed that Milam probably loved it. So if it's something Jerry Milam would do, then wow. he would do it. So he's like not just stealing an identity and pretending that that's his name. He's assuming a whole new identity. Oh, weird. Yeah, yeah. Wow, Isn't I that hate bizarre this to think about? I hate this guy so much. <laughs> this might be the worst one because this yeah. guy is so terrible. This guy sucks. So after a couple of days, he learned that police had identified the body of James Matheny and that they were searching for Terry for himself. Right. So he called his attorney and went to the hospital, and that's where we come full circle. The day after his visit with Terry in the hospital, Detective Moore reported all of his findings to the Davidson County Grand Jury. Only hours later, David Terry was arrested for murder and arson. Wait, so back it up a little bit. I feel like I missed something. Okay. So how did he get to the hospital and why? I think that he just drove himself there. I think he knew like the the heat was on. He was getting caught. He was going to get caught. And Mm -hmm. so he called his lawyer. There's like a whole exchange. I'll link some of the stuff where I got my info from where he says like, this is how the conversation with the attorney went. Yeah. And uh, that I, I'm pretty sure he just drove himself to the hospital because he knew they're going to come here and talk to me. Oh, weird. So he didn't actually like have a reason to go to the hospital. No, I don't think he was injured or anything. No, he just chose to go there because it was a safe haven kind of a place to have the police meet you. I'm assuming so. I mean, one way or another, that's where they found him. Weird. Okay. Yep. Yep. Super weird. So 15 months later, Terry went to trial. Mm -hmm. He confessed to everything. He gave jury a play by play of what he did, including the embezzlement and the murder. He plotted all of this for a long time and he knew that he would need a person to pin it on. And he chose James Matheny. This was the point that actually that he had called Matheny his sacrificial lamb, which Still, one of the grossest things I've ever heard. Yeah, that's messed up. After a short deliberation, short being the operative word, yes, jurors found John David Terry guilty, and he was sentenced to death. Yes. However, in 2003, Terry hung himself in his jail cell. He did this without ever telling anyone where the rest of Matheny's remains were. He knew where he put Matheny's head and arm. He could have given Teresa and William and all of Matheny's other loved ones, some closure chose yeah. not to. And the police on this case, uh, there's a, a show that I watched. I can link like the IMDB to it. So you can go find it. Yeah. Who They interviewed detective Moore, and this dude did a great job. I got to just give him a thumbs up. Cause mm. he was pretty much like restlessly on this case until they figured it out. He did a great job. So anyway, he could have given people closure, chose not to, and we will likely never find those remains. Wow. So James Matheny Jr., um, which he was a junior. Sorry, I should have said that earlier. So he was a man who was really trying to improve himself. His ex-wife said that because he lost his own father when he was very young, he was so excited when he became a father to their son. Yeah. He had dreams of getting sober, working a job that he could be proud of, and reuniting his family. He really wanted to get back together with Teresa. And he really, really loved being a dad. His funeral was attended by many of his closest loved ones who all remembered him proudly and fondly, and they do still to this day. 
He made some bad choices and he had struggled with addiction, but he was making so many huge strides in moving out of that period of his life and into a new one that was full of a lot of promise and hope for him and his family. So they mourn his terrible death, but even more so, they mourn the life that he could have lived had he never met John David Terry. Mm. And that is today's story. That is a bummer of a story. That one's really bad. It's really sad. And it makes me angry. Yeah. I'm like mad at that guy because yeah. he, not only did he wipe out, wipe out somebody who was on the up and up, mm-hmm. but then he did all of these things to try to get away with it and be completely somebody else. It's, it's crazy to me to think about that. Like right. he was straight up trying to leave the life that he had to choose something else as a life, which inevitably he got, I mean, he went to prison and lived a different life. Like right. good for him, I guess. And, and then he got he what up, he wanted. Yeah. He got what he wanted in the end of the day. And it makes me mad. Like, I hate that. I wish he would have been, I, I feel like prison for him should have been, you're going to stay, you're going to stay at this church forever. And you're <laughs> never going to be uh, unsupervised again. also giving like, you a pay cut. Yes. And we're giving you a pay cut and you're going to be demeaned every single day by uh, Shirley, the associate at the front desk who she's going to say something, just undercut you a little bit with some passive aggressive comment every single day. That yeah. would have been better than putting him in prison, letting him mm-hmm. do the, what he did. Mm-hmm. That makes me mad. I hate that so much. Yeah. It's just the lengths that he went to that had he like applied that same effort to just about anything else, he probably could have gotten right. promoted. He could have changed the world with that kind of effort and planning. Well, even if he couldn't have changed the world, he could have changed the legacy that he left for his children. Yeah. Like he could have decided, you know what, this isn't something that I care about, but my kids do. And I'm proud of them for having something that they're passionate about and working hard, like Mm -hmm. towards. And so I'm going to go support them. Like how hard would that have been? Yeah. Would not have been hard at all in comparison. Like the ministry stuff that he was doing in the community seemed almost like escapist. Yeah. Like the more that I thought about it, I'm like, you are escaping the real you. Yeah. You are you are neglecting the things that you're supposed to be caring for the most. Right. And you're doing like it sounds like it was like a fever pitch squawk of a time that he was just always out running around, attending the things, doing the things. Right. And it was all self-serving at the end of right. the day. He it just was- wanted everybody to think he was awesome. Right. And he wanted to escape his actual things that he should have been caring about. Right. His like, real responsibilities and his family and yeah. all that. Hmm. Like, or just dude, this is like what we talked about. Um, oh, the, the one we did last week with the Warrens, like dude, just get a divorce. Right. Like if you're that unhappy, just get a divorce and change careers. Right. It's not he that had hard. some college under his belt. He was somewhat yeah. educated. So I was just like, man, just get a divorce and change careers. Right. You don't have to murder an innocent person who trusts you. Right. To change careers anyway. Yeah. What now was he going to do? Yeah. Was he going to go be, go be uh, his new pseudonym and be a pastor somewhere else? Like that wasn't going to follow him at some point. Right. Gosh. Yeah. So that, that one sucks. Weird. And RAP to James Matheny. Yeah. I wish that he would have been given more time. Yeah. And his... Ex-wife, wife, Teresa, and his son. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. That's Mm. the really bummer doozy of a story I have today. 
That is a doozy. Well, everybody, thanks for listening to the unusual, unsettling, and unsavory story today. Yet another unsavory story. I feel like this one leans more into unsavory. I'm leaning unsavory. I feel like I want to grade these after every episode. Which, yeah. one, which one is it? Is it unusual, unsettling, Tell or unsavory? Tell us, listeners. Comment on the Instagram post that I make for this episode. If you think this one was unusual, unsettling, or unsavory, or any combination of the three. Yeah, I'm going to lean very unsavory. I'm also going to lean unsavory. (laughs) I'm also pretty unsettled. And it it is unusual to steal a child's identity to kill your friend. Fair. It's pretty unusual. I would hope that all three of them are on the table. Tell us what you think, guys. We got to know. Also, if uh, you would, please subscribe and leave a glowing five-star review and uh, go give us a follow on all the socials at This One Is A Doozy um, on everything that we have except for Facebook. That one is This One's A Doozy Podcast. And also, uh, shoot us an email if you have a suggestion for an episode or a personal story. The email address is, what is it? It is This One Is A Doozy at gmail.com. Nice. I have gotten more. Yeah. I've gotten more suggestions and a personal story. And I am so excited. When we get enough personal stories to fill a whole episode, I'm going to read them. Oh, yeah. It's going to be awesome. Yes, yes. That'd be exciting. And the suggestions that I've gotten, literally every single one of them I plan on doing because they're really great suggestions. They're terrible stories. Unsettling. Yes, very Unusual, unsavory, all of that. But they're perfect for what we're doing. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So Sorry, send them that in. was my answer. <laughs> That's great. Send them in, send them to us at the Gmail. With that, we will see you next week for another doozy. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Bye.